my favorite was my mom. We would be like, Mom, I'm hungry. She would be like, go make yourself a couple of hot dogs. <laughs> and we'd be like, I don't want hot dogs. And then she would be like, then you ain't hungry. <laughs> exactly. exactly. My mom. Did your mom ever say that? I feel like that's like a staple in a black house. My mom is actually Puerto Rican, but yeah. So oh, Puerto Ricans are black. <laughs> almost. <laughs> so my, my mom, when we were cold, or she would walk around the house and she would say, I'm cold. Go put on a sweater. Like, it doesn't matter if you're cold or not. If she was cold, you would have to go put on a sweater. She would tell you to put on a sweater? Yeah. I'm cold. Go put on a sweater. <laughs> but that's because she worried, you know, she yeah. wanted you she to She cares toasty. too much, moms. Yeah. She care too much. Typical. And what was, what was the one thing you ate growing up that, you, that made you think, man, we... We're, we're, we don't have that much money right now. Like, oh, when you ramen. look back oh, at... Ramen? Ramen? Okay, yeah. Ramen noodles. Mm-hmm. Or pork and beans. I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah? Yes. No, but, but then you got fancy. You chopped up a couple of hot dogs. Hot dogs and put it in the <laughs> Throw them bad boys in there. Wow. Pork and beans and hot dogs. And the protein. Add the protein. Do you guys oh. ever, ever eat... <laughs> I'm going to <laughs> You guys ever eat cheese sandwiches? Where it was like Ooh. bread, cheese... <laughs> Bread. Mayonnaise, I've bread. Had, oh, had, you know what? You I've know what? Syrup it's like it's <laughs> yeah. pretty much like grilled cheese, right? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, yeah. pretty much syrup like, sandwiches are real black. But, but <laughs> for some reason, having a cheese sandwich made it seem a little bit more like hobo, right? No, mm. no, you know what? I was gonna turn my nose up at you, but what we used to do as a snack, we would take a, a slice of bread, put a slice of cheese on it, put it under the broiler. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that cheese would melt up. Boom, you got you got cheese toast. <laughs> oh my god. Uh-huh. Okay, I've never heard of syrup sandwich. Wait, I heard of I, I never sandwich? syrup sandwich. Alright, what's that? It's it's a sandwich, you put some syrup on that joint and you eat it. <laughs> so bad. So I never I never that's yeah, I've right never there. had a syrup sandwich, but my friends in school did. When wow. I was like Yeah, and, oh, uh, no. and I actually I got that from my friends. They're like Trinidad, like from mm-hmm. Trinidad and stuff and Dylan and Devin, like, my best friends in Florida. And one day, like, it was just real tough times, and we were just eating top ramen and stuff. He's like, man, you ever had a syrup sandwich? I was like, nah. He's like, all right, we're about to have some. It turns you on to it. <laughs> wow. All right, well, we, we are here with Anais. Anais. Garcia. So you are, you are Cuban mm-hmm. and black, mm-hmm. and your name is French. Yes. Right? And are, am I, did I say your name right? Yes. Is that how you pronounce it? That's yeah, good. You that's, said it perfectly. That's well, a nice combo. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. I think, um, can we get a little bit more cuddly? Yeah. Dave? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to make sure that, like, I mean, you were fine. Oh, okay. I like floors anyway. I'm, I'll sit on the floor, too, then. <laughs> I got coffee breath because I made Anaisa, I made her a latte, and then uh, she came in with a cup of coffee. So <laughs> she, she didn't know. She just didn't know. <laughs> No, don't feel bad, because I'm still learning, so you probably got spared. <laughs> there was some nice latte just, art. Now it was just, latte art, now it's oh, just a blog. No. It's still art. That's what happens with time. Mm-hmm. So, so I just met Anais. Yeah, me too. We just met a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. at church. Yes. Got a chance to sit down, shared value of uh, trying to have an impact on the next generation. Yes. Right? Definitely. So. Yeah, and I had formally just met her too 
and then but I had seen you guys around for like the last couple of years. Yeah. I'd always see you and, and Jonathan's here too. What's up, Jonathan? Talking about <laughs> syrup sandwiches. Hey, what's up guys? <laughs> Jonathan is your boyfriend. You guys have been together for how long? Uh it'll be four years this summer. Four years. Four years. Serious. Yeah, I know. How old Whoa. are you guys? Do you mind me asking how old are you? Twenty one. Twenty. Wow, that's good. That's, that's that's young. You that me and Julie started out that young. Really? We really? started dating when I was seventeen and she was sixteen, and so we started <laughs> dating then, and uh, we dated for five and a half years. Yeah, that's got married when she was twenty one. I was twenty three. <gasps> yeah. So <laughs> when because some parents, you know, working with with students with teenagers, they're like, tell my kid that they're not going to find their future spouse when they're dating some, you know, some thug at 15, (laughs) you know, don't, you know, don't. And I'm like, ah, I was that guy. I was like that clueless thug of a kid, you know, that (laughs) came around with my, you know. Dave, um, I'd love to see you in your thug days. So I remember it was the first, it was the first (laughs) year that we were dating. We were probably like just a couple months in and I was playing bass for this punk rock band. Called. Oh my gosh. It was me, Ben Broadwater, and Charlie Mushaw, and we were tripolar disorder. Okay. Oh my god! Right? An amazing punk rock <laughs> phenomenon that happened there at the end of the '90s, early 2000s, and oh my gosh. so I was trying to really play the part of the punk rock kid. So I dyed my hair this neon greenish blue, shaved the sides of my head, right? Really? Yeah, oh no. and just had this shock of like this teal hair. <laughs> So I didn't tell, like, I didn't tell Julie that I was going to dye my hair. Like, I was just kind of in the moment, right? And so Julie, this legend has it, story goes, that we were going to see my buddy play a hockey game. So I'm sitting on the stands, and she walks into the hockey arena, looks up at the stands, sees me, and she says, that can't be Dave. And she turns around and walks out and has to get her composure before she comes back in. And she's like... Torn, like, how could he do this without even talking to me about it beforehand? Like, and I was just, what do you mean talk to you about it beforehand? Grown man, girl. I'm, it was, it's just hair. And then she had to think, like, he has to come home to my house and my parents are going to see this, right? And so in walks me with this, I can't imagine what her parents thought, right? Who is this punk kid mm-hmm. trying to date my daughter. Was that the first time you ever... No, no, that wasn't the oh, first time. They, okay. So we had, we had laid the groundwork a little bit, okay. but that story gets shared there, every now and then at family uh, family <laughs> dinners. Are there other pictures of this era? Okay, so that's the thing. Can you imagine there that being true about me and there being no pictures? There's none. There's none because none. it was before cell phone cameras, before like Control. people, yeah. before digital moment, photography. Mm-hmm. Unless you were developing the film, yeah. then, and yeah. who's going to do that? How many yeah. of us had those instant cameras that never saw the light of day? Yep. Yeah. Was, so yeah. I've asked Julie, I've asked my sister, who I was spending a lot of time with <laughs> back then, asked people, I looked through all of our photos, I asked my parents, Nothing. there's zero photos of me with green hair. <laughs> Well, speaking of being a kid, Anais, where did you grow up? I grew up in a combination. Can you? I'm sorry. Can you? Can that yeah. go off? You got some some white noise. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Continue. I grew up. Um, well, I was born in Colombia, and I stayed here till I was about seven, and then 
that's when I moved to Baltimore County, Woodlawn area. Hey. And, yep. Yep. I grew up in Woodlawn. That's our hood, yeah, too. Yeah, man. I remember he, he, you saw the snap of the bridge, and you were like, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the back road. Uh, yeah. Old Frederick. Yeah. yeah. And okay. um, lived there ever since. Um, moved around about, but we ended up coming back to the same house that we left in Baltimore, so. Nice. Yeah. Tell me about your childhood. What was it like? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was actually, it was it was interesting and different in the sense that I was raised by a single parent mom, and I was an only child, so it was just us two. We were, like, besties from the very beginning. Um and we struggled so much financially. We lost cars, houses, um, moved around a lot. The ramen, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the one thing that was consistent, despite all of that madness, was that we were we were a team, no matter what. And the only other thing that was consistent was ballet. Mm. That was it. I mean, no matter where we went, she always found a way to kind of keep me in a dance class, which... From the time I was three, never stopped. So, oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. So that's like after school, you would go to ballet. Straight Did to it ballet. get to be like multiple days a week? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was every, like Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturdays. Wow. Um, and that like intensity started, I would say, probably in middle school. Because um, up until that point, it was just recreational dancing. Yeah. But then it got real. Like, I went to Washington Ballet. I was going to Dance Theater of Harlem, Miami City Ballet. I was traveling all over the country dancing. And um, I, that's when I, I knew, like, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to go to Baltimore School for the Arts. I want to join a professional ballet company. And um, that's kind of what I went after. I did end up going to BSA and... Not the company, but you know, mm-hmm. I um, I had to choose my health mm-hmm. over. So tell tell us a little bit about um, about that about your your health um, uh, and how that kind of affected your decision making around that time. So how how old are you at this point? Twenty. Okay. So and then, how old were you when you kind of knew you wanted to be a dancer? And then at what point um, throughout that journey did you begin to run into some some health issues? So at nine is when I had this like crying episode of, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I went to a ballet concert. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the Washington Ballet, Kennedy Center. It was just beautiful. Oh, nice. And I went there. I was in the audience. The director of the school kind of recognized me because I would be there in the summer times. And I just felt like that stage is where I'm going to live for the rest of my life. Like, that was it. So I broke down in the car, and I was like, Mommy, I'm doing this. I'm doing this for the rest of my life. And she was like, okay, honey, okay, you're okay. Calm down. Yeah. So literally at nine years old is when I kind of decided, because I used to do acting. Side note, I was in Step Up, and I was in other movies. Oh, nice. So I kind of gave up everything. I gave up gymnastics, ice skating, acting, art everything and I was like dance you were involved in a lot like that's yeah that's a lot of stuff yeah 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 it was mainly like summer I mean I wasn't doing it as much as I was dancing Mm -hmm. but like I would do a different camp every year like a gymnastics camp Mm -hmm. art camp so nine is when I committed yeah so to say um do you remember what show it was 
it was contemporary ballet. It was like excerpts from, it was Don Quixote was one excerpt, and then contemporary, like, partnering, pas de deux. It was a whole bunch of different hmm. mini ballets yeah. in one show. So you got a sneak peek of their season. It was like their opening. Oh, yeah. Um, so we got a little tease of everything, which is, I think, what just had me googly-eyed. Yeah, like, can you transport us back to that, like, <laughs> sitting in the seats and watching it? What... What did it, what caught you? What was it that grabbed you? Were you like imagining yourself on stage yeah. or like yeah. where, what was that like? So what caught me, I knew even at a nine-year-old, even at that time, and I wasn't dancing as much as I was, I was a competition dancer, but I knew that there was something wrong with my body. I knew it because I was told all the time that either A, I'm too short, B, I'm too curvy, I was a healthy child. You know, I wasn't stick thin. Um, my butt was too big. Sorry, I'm black and Latina. Can't help it. So I was getting told that from the age of six. Um, subliminally. Subliminally. <laughs> and um, by the time I was nine, I kind of had this idea comparing myself to all the other white girls I was dancing with. Side note, when I was seven, my dance teacher jumped me from my age group to the 13 and up. So starting at seven years oh, old, I was dancing with 13 and up from that moment on. Wow. So I was with, you know, taller white females for the majority of my training at uh, seven through 10. And so at nine, I already knew that, okay, I'm going to go to this production. I know I'm going to see very, very thin, long-legged, blonde ballerinas on that stage. And I know that... Um, I don't look like those people, except this one performance featured a Latina, 5'2", I'm 5'1", but it was close enough, 5'2". She was a little curvy, not, I mean, for their standards, I guess you can say. Mm -hmm. And um, she did the lead in, in one of the excerpts. And I was just so amazed to see that maybe I do have a chance, despite the fact that I'm being told I'm wrong on a daily basis. Um, maybe that can be me one day. Maybe even though she's one out of a million dancers on that stage, that could be me. And I remember I was in the audience crying my eyes out because I didn't believe that I was built right. I didn't think I was right. I thought I, there was something physically wrong with me because I wasn't appreciated in the one thing that I loved so much. But that day... The reason I was like, I'm doing this is because I saw myself on that stage. And a new world, a new world of possibilities. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, this door was open. Yes. That's beautiful. It's powerful. Yes. Hmm. So tell us about uh, Baltimore School for the Arts. What was that experience like for you? Oh, man. <laughs> um, so Baltimore School for the Arts was kind of what nearly took my life, to be honest. Um, I went... I, I knew I wanted to go to BSA from the time I was 10 because of the movie Step Up um, featuring Maryland School for the Arts, which is really Baltimore yeah, right, School right, for right. the Arts. Yeah. And um, I even went to their youth program called Twigs at BSA. And I was like, okay, I have, you know, I have a little bit of a shoe in. Maybe they'll remember me. And of course they did remember me and they loved me. But I got denied my first year. And I was destroyed destroyed because a girl that I danced with 
um, at the time of middle school, I danced with her every day. She auditioned as well. She was thinner than me and she got in, but I was in the higher, like three levels above her. Mm -hmm. So it didn't make sense to me that they chose somebody that wasn't necessarily, I'm not saying she wasn't talented, but we, you know, there's different levels and they took her because of the simple fact that she's like half my size. Mm -hmm. And so I called when my mom called cause I was devastated. Um, and asked what was the reason of my denial and what can I do? Because you get two chances to audition. You mm -hmm. can join as a sophomore or as a freshman. So I still had one last chance. She called and asked what was it that you know caused them to deny me? What can I work on? And they said, well, to be honest, she needs to tone up. She's really soft. And she we're just we're reluctant to accept somebody with her body type. Straight up is what they told me. They said that? They said that. Wow. And mind you, at that time, which was around eighth grade, I was 110 pounds. There was nothing heavy about me. Um, and they told me that I needed to gain muscle or they wouldn't take me the next year. Gain muscle and lose fat. Is gain muscle like code? Code for lose fat, essentially. Um, because... What's on top? Like, if you can't see your muscle tone, what's there? You know, it's their kind way of saying, like, you need to lose some of that fat or beef up, basically. Mm -hmm. um, because I was muscular. I've been dancing since I was three. There was nothing not muscular about me. It was just a little bit of tissue on top of the, <laughs> the muscle, you know? I was normal. So um, I spent my whole freshman year of high school I went to Carver Center for the Arts as a dance major because they accepted me um and I spent my whole first year of high school just like literally I joined everything possible to to work out to just focus on my muscle tone that's when a hint of dieting creeped into my life I had never before thought of it cared even considered it but freshman year of high school because of what they told me I was like okay maybe I should count calories I don't know what to do I, uh, I've never been confronted about my body being this wrong getting denied um so that's when dieting kind of came in and out I was never consistent but the following year I got in mm -hmm. and um I started up 10th grade year and I remember the very first day of classes being told the same thing that I was denied for. You need more muscle tone. You know, you you need to to actually lose some of the fat around your <laughs> muscles, you know? And so um, that being told to me on my very first day at my dream school kind of struck me. Um, and I got into like this hyper obsessive mode. And that's when the dieting kicked in for real. It wasn't unhealthy yet, but it kicked in. Hmm. Yeah. What, what, what were your major influences on how you started to diet? Like, were you getting tips from teachers or other students or from, like, a doctor or, like, your mom? Where, who was starting to speak Everyone. into that? Everyone was speaking. My doctor was telling me if I lose any more weight, it's going to be dangerous um, because my weight was kind of dropping um, consistently, but not like fast. It was just steadily like up two pounds a year and going from sixth grade to the 10th grade, it should be going up. Um, so my doctor was telling me the opposite, but teachers were telling me I need 
mind you, at BSA, you dance four to at least at least four hours a day, but it can get up to eight or ten hours a day, mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, and then sometimes rehearsals on the weekends. So you're dancing a lot. And the first tip my teacher gave me, because I asked, I'm like, okay, what do you want me, what can I do? Oh, you need to just simply cut out bread, cut out chips, cut out um, fatty foods, maybe only have a dessert once a month, and you need to go to the gym after dance. And I'm thinking to myself, you're telling me to cut out carbs, dance four to eight hours a day, and then go to the gym after I'm dancing four to eight hours a day and not eat enough. Um, So that was tip number one from a teacher. Number two, my friend who had gotten accepted um, told me how she got in. She told me what her little secret was throwing up everything she consumed. So that was a major influence on, well, they accepted her and she's throwing up. That's what I have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, That was influence number two. And number three, my mom saw me... As a mom, she saw me crying, struggling, obsessed with just trying to be the best I can be. So she wasn't, she didn't know that it would lead into a life-threatening eating disorder. But at the time, all she wanted was me to actually be happy. So she was helping me diet. She's like, okay, if you want to do this, if this is what we're going to do, look, you need to cut this out. You need to, you know, monitor your carbs, maybe do this. You don't need to be working out every day after you dance, but you can start doing things with your food. And so I listened to her. Um, and all together, I did my own research. You know, I got little fitness apps like my Fitness Pal. That was my first endeavor with my eating disorder because um, I limited my calorie intake to like 1,200, which was my first like um, restriction, I guess. And all those combined just started piling on top of another, another dancer. I was like, how are you? She lost like 20 pounds in a month. And I'm like, how in the world did you lose? a Girl, I just take laxatives every night. And so I was like, okay, check. I'll start doing that too. So I started getting all these tips Mm -hmm. and I became a pro at my eating disorder, which was the worst thing I could have been a pro at, Mm -hmm. but it got me promoted to the highest level. It got me the lead role my senior year. It got me solos in the senior showcase. It got me everything when my talent hadn't necessarily improved. The mm. only thing that changed is that I went from 110 to 95. Mm. By the time I entered my sophomore year to graduating as a senior at 95 pounds. So your sophomore year is when you started the, you went from, you know, trying to have like a meal plan and, mm-hmm. a, and, a, and a, a somewhat, Although you didn't have much weight to lose, but a somewhat healthy diet, mm-hmm. restrict, restrictive on your food intake to mm-hmm. now you're starting the unhealthy um, methods of mm-hmm. losing this weight. So um, you basically were doing like laxatives and, and throwing know. up mm-hmm. and not eating altogether mm-hmm. uh, from your sophomore to your senior year. It started, the unhealthy habits started my junior year. Okay. So you so, were dieting all throughout your... Uh, sophomore year, yes. Okay. And then once you got to your junior year... The unhealthy habits kicked in. And were you were you not seeing results fast enough? Yeah. I, okay, so then. I didn't feel like I was um, thin enough because I was still getting those comments consistently throughout my sophomore year. And then even in my junior year, I was still getting comments. Okay. Um, I felt 
pressured because everyone else that came in their freshman year was already in higher levels because you move up when you come in. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of comparing myself to my graduating class saying, okay, I need to be where they are. I'm not. I already came in a year late. I just felt so much pressure by my junior year. My sophomore year, I was still getting my, my like sea legs and I was still trying to figure things out. Um, but by junior year, it hit me like more has to be done because I've been here for a year and I don't see the things I want to see yet. And as this was happening, was how how aware was your was your mother to with all of this? Um, she caught me doing one thing. She caught me throwing up at a Denny's one day. <laughs> And uh, rightfully so, because Denny's is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally <laughs> unintentionally or intentionally. No, but she caught me in the bathroom, and um, she got so mad at me because that was her only way of reacting. She didn't know that it was simply it was an, an illness. An illness, right. yeah. So she got really mad. That's kind of how she continued to react throughout my senior year because she had no other knowledge of what I was doing um and of course I told her that was the first and last time I'd ever done it it wasn't um because eating disorders are just centered around lies and secrets and you tell one lie you gotta tell another you have to continue to hide everything you're doing well and then you get rewarded Mm -hmm. for the the unhealthy habit Mm -hmm. and you get reprimanded for healthy habits yes and so that that's got to ingrain and seal, you know, your your choice pattern, mm-hmm. right? It did, especially when dance was, mind you, I've been abused, I've been bullied, I've been in and out of homes and cars and poverty. Like, I've had a life and the only consistency, not even my own father or the rest of my family was ballet. So here I am desperate mm-hmm. and being told that I'm not right for it. But it's the only thing I cling on. Like, I held on to that. Because out of everybody coming in and out of my life and hurting me, dance never hurt me. I just, for some odd reason, wasn't good enough for it. So I did everything I had to do to be good enough for it, including harm myself in the worst possible way. And I had no idea the first day, I will never forget this, it was my birthday celebration. And I had dessert. Um my sophomore or junior year, something like that. And it was the first time I ever had the thought, the inclination to throw up, ever. And I went in the bathroom and I sat there and I called my mom. I was like, Ma, I don't know what to do, but I feel really sick. And it, it was really my mind. It wasn't anything else. And she's like, just take deep breaths. Um, you know, you'll be okay. <laughs> she didn't know what else to do. And so um, I had tried to throw up, but it nothing happened because I guess you have to be a pro at it or whatever. And so I just gave up. But I'll never forget that day. It was kind of like I felt like it was eat or be eaten. Like I was I had no other choice but to do what I what I was inclined to do. And from that moment forward I kept trying. I kept trying. I failed like abruptly the first four times I tried to throw up after a meal, but finally it it became so easy that it was just like second nature I would just go throw up and nobody would know I was with him for two years while I was bulimic and he had no idea Mm. and here he is in every part of my life and he even moved in with us and he had no idea my own mom had no idea Mm. um so it was it was hidden and I became so good at it that 
you know, I got hernias in my stomach. I got heart palpitations and issues. I nearly had a heart attack in my college dorm because I pushed too hard and strained my body too much. I, I had literally become obsessed and I didn't care about anything else but losing weight. It even I, after a certain point, by the time I graduated, I didn't even care much about dance. The obsession had turned from being the best in ballet to being the best at my eating disorder, which is what's so sinister about them. They they creep in with you. You think it's with good intentions, but then it takes over the thing that you, you know, were fighting for in the first place. So let's. So you finish. At BSA, mm-hmm. and you start college, where do you go? Towson. Towson University. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so you mentioned the, you know, near heart attack that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, was that, was that like your, your breaking point? Or at, 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 at what point did you get to um, a place where it became life or death? Mm. So I've been there more than I'd like to admit. Um, that was just phase one was the heart attack, well, near heart attack. And um, I went to my school counselor at Towson, and I needed to talk to somebody. I didn't know what to do because I was dying. Um, and I told him what my issues were, and he recommended that I stop the semester, my first semester of college. You know, it was I wasn't social. I hid in my dorm all the time because everybody just wanted to go out and eat, and I couldn't do that. That wasn't allowed, quote-unquote, by my eating disorder. I had no friends. All I did was go to the gym after dancing for five hours a day and not eat and throw up every little bit that I put in my body. So something had to give. I went to him, and he said, look, you, you're going to have to go to the hospital. Like you, The way you're going, you're not going to get through this semester at all. Um, and so I was like, what do you mean? There's a hospital for eating disorders? Like, I didn't know anything about it. And um, my mom did some more research. I did some more research. And we found Shepherd Pratt Center for Eating Disorders, which happened to be right next to campus, walkable. So <laughs> um, after my intake, they decided, like, we're checking you in today. And I wasn't really expecting any of that. So I went to... It was literally a mental institution for eating disorders. As an 18-year-old girl, Hmm. fresh out of high school, and I was thrown into this psych ward where people were, like, peeling their skin. It was just, it was traumatizing. Like, it was so many more issues. They all had eating disorders, but it was so many things on top of it. Um, There were a few, like, there were a few other people that are just there with an eating disorder, and we kind of formed a little... You know, a crew because we were traumatized by being in that place. And you can't have a cell phone. You can't have any connection to the outside world except through visiting hours. So um, my first day there, I'll never forget this. During my intake, my heart rate was so low and my pulse was out of my um, blood pressure was like out of this world. And the lady that did my check in told me, you're so lucky because if you would have danced one more class, your heart would have easily stopped during that ballet class. Oh, my goodness. This is my first day in the hospital. What what year was... When was this? 2015, September. Okay. So, what... What's the uh, eating disorder culture like within a program like the dance program at Towson? 
So, different. My, the dance program at BSA, I would say probably half of the females there had an eating disorder, if not more. And was that um, something that the instructors ever talked about? No. Okay. No. Which you wonder. Um, I caught a friend throwing up one day and we went to the faculty to kind of let them know this is what we saw in the bathroom. Um, and they were like, no, not again. That was their reaction. Like they were, they were kind of upset, which is understandable, but they never talked to us about how to fix our bodies. They just told us that we needed to fix our bodies. Gotcha. Towson, on the other hand, is so diverse so diverse in bodies, heights, sizes, everything. Their specialty is modern, which is kind of what's different about the ballet world versus the modern world. Ballet is very rigid, um, and modern is more accepting. Um, so at Towson, I, I I actually told my department head at Towson University that I'm going to have to withdraw from the semester, unfortunately, because I am going to the hospital for an eating disorder and she was the most supportive angel I swear she hugged me she I was crying and she still supports me to this day um but I I never will the reason I I kind of was so triggered out of my mind by going to Towson is because here I go from an institution that's telling me you know you gotta you gotta do some things about your body to an institution that all bodies are good bodies, you know? Yeah. And it was kind of scary to go from, like, two extremes. And mm-hmm. I, I was telling myself that I'm not in the place that's right for me. Towson University wasn't good enough because I should have been in a company. I should have been at, you know, Juilliard. I should have been at Indiana University. I should be at these high-level ballet schools. And here I am at Towson as a modern school. So I definitely have to keep losing weight. This is what my mind was telling me. Um... Mind you, my first year, my very first semester, I auditioned for a company, which is like a senior level program at Towson University, the dance department. And they said, we don't do this, but, you know, we're going to let you join company. You're extremely talented. And we we never allow freshmen to do this. It's like rare, but we really were offering it to you. If you accept it, if you think you can handle it. So I was so excited. Here I am. I'm in company, um, I'm dancing with all the seniors, I'm going to get a lead role, and then I have to stop everything just to go to a psych ward. I have to give it all up. And um, How long were you, were you at the Shepherd Pratt Center for the Eating Disorders? Um, so it's phases. Eating disorder treatment is done in phases. First, you're inpatient, which you're living in the hospital. And I was at for two weeks. After that, it's called PHP, Partial Hospitalization Program, where you're there probably 7 in the morning to 7 at night. You know, you can actually go home and be civilized. Um, and I was in that for about two months, two or three months. And you, then You were in PHP for two months? Mm-hmm. And then the final step is called IOP, Intensive Outpatient Program, which is three or four days a week. Uh, just dinners, so it's like four to eight. You do dinner and maybe a group or like art or something. And I didn't do that step. I just did the inpatient and the PHP. And um, I had put on my weight that I needed to. I was perfectly healthy. I came, I entered the hospital at like 95, left about 110. Like I was fine. And um, that's all they kind of do there. They just force you to eat. You know, it's not really like anything 
they do therapy and stuff, but I don't feel like it's that focused on there. It's more about health. Um, so needless to say, I thought I was ready to conquer the world at 110. And I'm like, I'm going back to school. I'm going back to dance. And I relapsed horribly. And when, so, when was this? This was um, 2017. 16. Sorry, 16. I went back to school for the spring semester, which started okay. that January. Okay. In 2016. So you were so you you were gone for like three months. The, the, once you started first semester, much, you left pretty much, and then came back in the new year. The January, well, the February, 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 the spring semester. Yep. And uh, spring semester 2016, you relapsed. Mm-hmm. So spring semester 2016, I was dancing. I was commuting, so I was still kind of being monitored. I wasn't two on my own. Um, but eventually things started to slip. The first thing I cut out the part of Shepherd Pratt, every meal, you have to have a caloric beverage, be that soda juice or whatever. That was number one. Number two, I cut out my desserts. Number three, I cut out my carbs. So it was a progression of just restriction. I stopped a hundred percent, which I am very proud to say that September of 2015, stopped throwing up. Haven't done that since. Stopped using laxatives. Haven't done that since. Even over-exercising, I stopped all that when I went into Shepherd Pratt. Wow. But it transformed, which is a very common thing with eating disorders. Symptom switching is what it's called. Mm -hmm. You go from one extreme to another. I went from all those behaviors to simply cutting out an item, an item, an item to the point that by the time it was, I would say, 2017, um, January or even December 2016, I would eat a coffee a day. That's it. So uh, over a year's progression, my food went from eating normally, just getting out of the hospital, to just a drink or so a day. Um, so by the time the spring semester came for my what would it be 2017 spring semester last last year's spring semester I was too sick to go back once again and I felt like an utter failure here I am now facing more hospitalization everything I had to quit dance because I was too at that time I went to 80 pounds actually um I was too weak to dance I was too weak to do anything so I stopped dancing I didn't go to the hospital I just said you know what I have to quit I quit dancing. I thought that would cure me and stop my eating disorder. Um, so in February 2017 was the last time I had ever taken a dance class, even till this day. Um, and it's been a year now. It's February, isn't it? Wow. I, and that's that's what I was afraid of, it becoming a year. But um, my eating disorder didn't stop. In fact, it worsened because I felt out of control. I felt lost. I had no purpose. I wasn't in school. I just lost the one thing that I've had since I was three. And um, I wasn't even strong enough to work a job. I was a disaster. I was an 80-pound, grumpy, lonely, dying, sick disaster. And I thought that I, I didn't know what to do, but I just decided, okay, I need to focus. I'm going to become a personal trainer. So I got certified by NASM as a personal trainer, and 
I worked that for a little bit. I took on a dance teaching job because I figured if I can't do it, I can teach. Um, and all those things kind of did give me some some validation, but it just, I still was lost. I was lost. And honestly, at that time, I felt like God abandoned me. I felt I was praying some angry prayers. I was like, where have you gone? Why, where are you? Like, you're letting me die. I'm 80 pounds. Like, help me, help me eat. Help me, help me live. Help me get back to dance. Why are you taking it from me? Why, why? It was nonstop questions. I just felt like my life was being stolen by this disease in my brain that the worst thing about eating disorders is once you start, um, it's a chemical change in your brain Mm. that makes it 10 times harder than any other addiction to stop, which people don't know, but anorexia nervosa, which is my diagnosis, has the number one death rate of all mental disorders, higher than schizophrenia, higher than anything. And it's because once you start and once that brain chemistry changes, there's literally no stopping until you've either starved yourself to death or commit suicide. Hmm. Um, I hear like, you know, as people go into recovery for addictions, mm -hmm. like with Alcoholics Anonymous, that Mm -hmm. they always call themselves an addict, Mm -hmm. even if they're, you know... Uh, have been clean for, you know, 45 years, they still call themselves an addict because mm-hmm. they're, the fight never ends. The, the, if, you know, using what you said, the brain chemistry is switched. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about that, the natural pathway that always wants to take you back. So it's yeah. seemingly for you, it's going to be a lifelong battle. Is that, is that kind of what you're... Um, looking ahead toward is like, how do I position my life now to be in this fight for the rest rest of my life? Like, what does that look like for you? Is and it I similar? Was. I don't know. I was. So that's the thing. Um, during this last round of recovery, I went to inpatient again um, because I had my actual come to Jesus moment after like a million near deaths. This one time was just too much. Can you describe um, that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Was this was when this was last year? What time? Um, it happened twice. One was in March, no April, and then the other was right before I checked in, and it was July. July was the second one. So the first one, I just done a dance photo shoot, um, because if I couldn't actually dance, I could still take pictures and look pretty. That's what I thought. <laughs> Um, but it was in the freezing colds, temperature dropped outside. April is still kind of chilly sometimes. So the temperature during my photo shoot probably went from 40 to like under 20. And I was in a ballet costume that had no, you know, coverage. And here I am 80 pounds, no insulation, my actual body. So by the time I got home, I must've like kicked into hypothermia. I started shaking. I just, I literally felt like I was dying And Jojo picked me up off the ground. I couldn't move. It was like I was having a seizure. And he picked me up. My mom came running up the stairs, and she picked me up. They called 911. And I'll never forget this, but I was so weak that I felt like if I had just said the words, I'm ready, I could have just gone. I I was that 
close to my death. Like I, and I wasn't scared at all because I, it would be better than living a life where I was afraid on a daily basis. Um, and I had to see my family afraid on a daily basis. And my mom had to watch me die every day. So I, um, I knew that at that moment I could have just said, I'm ready. I knew that I had, I could have taken my last breath and I could have been okay with it because living was just too, too strenuous. But it was, it was one thing that just kept me going because my mom lost her child before me. She lost her firstborn. And, um, I remember her coming up the steps and she picked me up and she said, dance with me, baby. I can't lose another. I can't. And so she just helped me and she rocked me. And she told me, please don't go. I can't lose another. I can't. And so I said, okay, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. I won't, I won't go. And so by the time the ambulance came, I, um... I was able to breathe again, couldn't move, I was just laying on the sofa, but I was able to come back, but I knew that that day I could have just gone, but I couldn't, at that moment, the only thing I cared about, I couldn't let my mom lose another child, so I, um, (laughs) so cute, (laughs) so I, that moment on, I knew that something had to give. Because here I am putting the people that love me through hell, literally. And I didn't even care much about myself at the time. I cared more about hurting them. So I, um, that's when I kind of started taking recovery more seriously. And I tried to do it on my own. I was kind of failing, but I was trying. I was Mm -hmm. eating. Even if it be, you know, diet food, it was still something that was going in me. Keeping me alive. But it didn't last too long. That was in April. And then by the time July came, I was so weak again that I couldn't pick up. The one thing I was eating every day or drinking was coffee. And at that time, I'll never forget this. This was the day I chose to go into the hospital for the last time. I was trying to pick up my cup of coffee. Thank you. (laughs) Um... And I couldn't, my arm couldn't pick up the coffee because I was that weak. And I was Mm. like, all right, this is it. Like, if I can't even, this is it. Like, I'm tired of fighting. So I called Renfrew Center, which is where I went the second time. And I asked for an intake appointment. And I went and they told me I could do their PHP program. But I went home and I thought about it because they were telling me I can't go back to school. Um, and I said, well, if I can't go back to school, you might as well just send me to the hospital. Like, I'm not going to do PHP and go home at night and probably still be sick. So I went in. And I had chosen it this time. Yeah. I, you went on your own. Yeah. And it was all the way in Philadelphia, so I was scared because I was away from home, no phone, no anything. and um, But it was something about this time that was different. Because Renfrew focuses more on the mental than the eating. Well, they focus on both, but it's more mind-oriented. And so by the time I came back home, I had recovered a little bit. I was about 93 pounds, so I was able to function. And um, I did their PHP program for 
oh man, maybe, I don't know how long, maybe two months, three months, I don't know. But then I went into IOP and, um, in IOP, I was kind of fluctuating up and down between recovery and relapse, recovery and relapse. IOP, you just eat dinners there. So during the day I wouldn't eat enough and I would just go there and I was like, Mm. you know what? This is not working out for me. So literally it's probably been two months now. I decided I am done with this. I can do this. I feel, I feel ready because I'm tired of halfing recovery. I'm tired of going there. They're not helping me at that point. The Baltimore location I felt like didn't help me. Philly, when I went there, they did some things with me that really changed my life. Hmm. But coming back, um, starting this new year, starting even at school, at, at going back to church regularly, praying regularly. I am now feeling so optimistic about recovery. And this is all to answer your question of, do I feel like I'll live with it for the rest of my life? And for this past month, it's been the first time I've ever felt like, no, I'm not going to live with it for the rest of my life. Wow. And I never thought that I'd be able to say that because I knew like alcoholics, the difference is they can go somewhere and not drink. They can turn down alcohol, but with food, you have to learn how to live with it. So you can't not deal with recovery. And I was being told, yeah, you're going to be fighting this for the rest of your life. You're going to have to deal with your eating disorder and your thoughts for the rest of your life. But now when I go to school, I don't dance anymore and it breaks my heart, but I I don't necessarily think about I can't eat. My body's wrong. I need to work out. I need to do this. I'm eating. I'm going to school. I'm pursuing physical therapy. I'm making friends because I had no friends before I came to Bridgeway, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> and um, I'm I feel this sense of freedom that I never thought I would find. And I feel like I won't be fighting for the rest of my life. Wow. Finally. So what would you, you know, what would you say to somebody like me who might have somebody in my life who is going through something similar to what you went through? Um, somebody that I care about, somebody that, uh, I would like to do the right thing. I'm sure people can do tons of things that are wrong, but mm. how does a person support a loved one during a time like that? Yeah, yeah, it's been rough. <laughs> Between as a support, um, it's tricky. You can't tell them eat. You know what are you doing? Just eat. You can't tell them to do that because it's. It's literally fighting the thing in their brains and it's going to come back as retaliation. It's going to come back as more secrets. I would lie and say I ate caviar and cake and I didn't eat a thing. So as a support, you have to realize that you're not that you're not dealing with a person that is thinking rationally. You're dealing with a person that has had their brain chemistry so altered to the point that Anything you say to them is not going to help. Hmm. And you need to find... That sounds powerless. Like, as powerless as you might feel in the disorder, Mm -hmm. 
it almost makes every like it strips Support. power from everybody too, right? Mm-hmm. He had to watch his girlfriend nearly starve herself to death, and he couldn't force a spoon down my throat as a person. My mom had to watch me nearly die, and she couldn't force me to eat. She could sit with me at every meal. She could listen to me, cry with me, do whatever she could, but she couldn't put a tube in my throat. And after the age of 18, as adults or as loved ones, you're pretty powerless because they have consent whether or not they want to go to the hospital. So as a support, the only thing that has helped me and my mom and me and my boyfriend is we started family therapy. And um, honestly, it has given them the tools of how to communicate with me, and it's given me the tools of how to ask for what I need. And I got most of what I, how to ask for what I need in Renfrew, Philly, because I learned what I needed. Before that, I had no idea what I needed. Um, but after that, I could ask, like, all right, I just, right now, all I need is for you guys to sit with me. You don't have to eat, but I just need you to sit with me and watch me eat and talk me through this. Or I would ask, um, can we not go to this restaurant because I'm terrified it has all the calories on the menu. Can we go here? It just was all about communication and listening. He, It's also about effort because he would work from probably 6 in the morning to 6 at night and he would drive all the way to my treatment group which starts at 7 and he'd be there. My mom would drive all the way to Philly on the two days she'd have off of work and she'd be there. He would never miss a group, never miss therapy. Like, they they were fighting for my life with me. Hmm. And, you know, I, I was so kind of blind when I was in treatment because I was too sick and weak. But the more I recovered, the more weight, the more fat I got on me, it restored my organs because that's the main thing. You don't think when you're not eating. Yeah. I could see clearly how much they were fighting for me because I I was that's the other thing about eating disorders when you're so sick um, your organs are so depleted your body is just so damaged that you can't think rationally you can't do anything your body shuts down like your your digestive tract shuts down my um, they almost I was almost diagnosed with osteopenia leading to osteoporosis because my ba- my bones were malnourished. Yeah. Um, I checked into Renfrew Philly with a heart rate in the 30s, which um, my first day, and they had me on like supervision. And within two weeks of just eating three regular meals a day, it had gone to 75. Wow. So that shows what just food yeah. alone does for you. Um. Everything was restoring. And now that I am nearly at a healthy weight, um, more so I'm at, I have a healthy mind. That's the thing. That's, I, I don't weigh myself anymore and I honestly don't care what I am right now. But I never in my life imagined that I'd be able to say that from a person who would weigh herself after every drink and bite of the day. You know, like I feel so liberated and I wouldn't have been able to do that without those people that were coming to my groups that were listening to me that you know I had moments where I was just lashing out on them because they're the only people there and I'm angry at this food in front of me but you're there so I'm gonna scream and cuss at you you know that's the only way but they had so much patience 
so much patience with me and my illnesses and my ups and downs and um eating disorders can really destroy families if you don't have God, if you don't have support, if you don't have therapy, and if you don't know how to go about them because they're tricky. Pray, pray every day. Yeah. Jonathan's saying he's Jonathan, come here, come here, man. Join just the party. <laughs> just say what you just said and just give us a little more about from your side of the steps that you took to so um for me it's like it was tough you know like she said with communicating it was it was tough and it was tough to communicate but I knew that if I couldn't communicate with Anis that I could talk to God and ask him to help. And he's still helping every day. Yeah. So in the, in, God, the moments, in the moments you couldn't talk to her, you could talk to God? Because he would never leave you. Okay. And I know it was hard for her to see that at the time. Because she was so wrapped up in, you know, trying to survive. But I knew he would help. I can't I can't thank him enough for just continuing to be blessing us. This year has been so good so far. And he's opening so much doors for us mm-hmm. that I couldn't even imagine. So that's one thing I just wanted to say. What is it like for you to hear Anais talk about freedom? It's rejuvenating. I, I told her that even on the car right here, it was a shock. I told her I see a new Anais. This is, you know, I've seen pretty much the same Anais for the last three years. But I see a new one. Like something's happening that's just magical. And I'm shocked and surprised a little bit, but I'm happy. I'm happy to to see her changing and just coming closer to God and being closer to us and her family and being open and social. It's just amazing. It's the new bodies and I just love it. I just feel like the, the old thing that was holding her back is deteriorating slowly, but it's it's going. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy. I see a lot of strength, like, just looking at you two, (laughs) different types of strength, and a a strength together, Mm -hmm. like, your, Anis, your strength of vulnerability, your strength of um, not telling yourself or other people lies, and the strength of the desire to be healthy and and pursue life mm. like that sound like that's coming through in your story like 100% I've, I've never like i told you i never imagined having 
a life where I didn't look at a menu and kind of cringe. And I never imagined having a life where it got to the point, you know, I want to have a family with him one day. And they're saying, you're not going to be able to have kids, you know, because you keep starving yourself. And um, that was kind of one of the final straws as well. And I never thought that, like, one of my dreams is to be a good mother one day. And how am I going to be a mother when all I care about is my selfish need to restrict and starve? And how am I going to be a good wife when all I care about is, you know, when we're fighting and I'm just stressing about the food, but I'm taking it out on him. I, I was tired and I imagined that that would be the life that I was destined to live because I didn't see anything else. And I would pray every day and I felt like God just... I, I've always had a good relationship with God up until literally 2016 and 17. I felt a silence. And when you feel that silence, it's the most terrifying thing in the world because I could always talk to him and I could be answered through, you know, dreams or just life. You know, like you pray for something and Maybe it's not what you want, but it's there and it'll show itself in the end. But for literally two whole years, I felt nothing but kind of a coldness and abandonment. And I always questioned why, why, why? And now I know it wasn't my time. And I was too sick to see that it wasn't my time. And I was fighting for something that was taking my life. I wasn't fighting enough for my true destiny and I was fighting myself and treading water literally and there's this movie I saw I don't remember the name but it was a beautiful movie and there was um a figure that was supposed to be Jesus in the movie and then there was a man that was questioning his faith and questioning everything else and he was in a boat and um he was only looking at the water and it was turning like black and the boat was just like there was holes getting like there was fish and piranhas. It was a it whole was, bunch of stuff. I think it was called the cabin or something. The, like, the cabin. The shack. The shack. The shack. Yeah, yes. That, yeah. So you know the scene I'm talking about when he's in the boat and he's just looking down and then Jesus, the Jesus figure in the movie, is walking towards him and saying, just look at me. You know, don't look at the boat. Don't, this is not of me. And he's like, but why? Why are you, if you control all things, why are you doing this? And he's like, this is not of me. Look at me. And it clicked to me, like I'm blaming God for my eating disorder. This is not of him. I just stopped looking at him. That's what I did. I stopped looking at him. And the second I can start to see him again, just like the man in that movie, the second he looked at God and took or Jesus, and took his eyes away from the immediate problem of drowning and being swallowed by this scary boat, the second he looked up, the water just calmed. The blackness went away. The holes went away. The fish went away just because he looked up. And that's where I am right now. I'm looking up, and I don't see the fish, and I don't see the water. I don't see anything but peace and God who I felt left me for years. <laughs> That's amazing. It's beautiful. It is. Well, part of the reason why we asked you to, to be on today is 
is because of your eagerness to share your story to hopefully encourage others. And so I just wanted to give you an opportunity. You are doing some blogging. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell people where they can find your stuff and catch up with you online? Yeah, so my link to my blog, it's like... I can connect it all on the yeah. website, um, on my website, DanteShepherd.com. There you go. So you can go there. I can put links to it, but you want to just say it Yeah, so my Instagram is the best way because it has the link to my website on my um, bio, mm-hmm. and that's it's it's dot Anais, A-N-A-I-S. So I-T-S period A-N-A-I-S. And then in my bio, it's the link to my blog, but all my posts on there are like pro-recovery, there also, if you scroll down, you'll see some things when I was struggling more. I refuse to kind of delete. Um, I've gone back and forth about it. Like, should I delete my bad days? But no, because they're part of me as well. So you'll see some struggle days. But recently, in the past two or three months, all my posts have just been of enlightenment and just literally feeling free. <laughs> literally. Great. Yeah. Thanks for... Thanks for sharing your story with us. Thanks, Jonathan, Thank for being a part of this, too. Yes. You're amazing to, to hear your strength and showing the love of Christ Thank uh, you. to somebody you care about. Thank You're you. awesome. Awesome. Awesome.